again, as I said, my name is Ross. Uh, so glad that you're here with us this morning. Welcome. As a church, we have uh, three, we have a staff, but we also have deacons. We have three deacons as a church. We also have five elders, including myself being one of them, one of those elders on sabbatical currently, uh, so leaves us four active elders. And this morning, uh, in my stead, you get to hear from one of our elders, uh, Dan Earhart, so I'm going to ask Dan to come up and share the word with us. Thanks so much, brother. Good morning. Why don't you pray with me, please? Great God, there is a cacophony of noise in our culture. And the last thing any of us need is to hear from one more man. And we beg you, Lord that we would hear from you this morning, that you would speak, that you would speak in power, that you would grow us in your way, that we would walk in love, and that we would be your hands and feet to all nations, bringing glory to your name. Help us, Jesus, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. If you wouldn't mind, please, if you can stand, please stand. We're gonna open up the scriptures this morning. And we're going to open up to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. In just the two plus years that my family and I have been in this church, I think this has been the preaching text. This is time number four or five. So we might run over some well-worn trails, but it might also be an indication to folks of just how important this is, that we come back to it again and again. So if you'll... Uh, hear the word of God, beginning at Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. And in this, Jesus is talking to his 11 disciples. We're talking about going back to school. So those of you who had math, you will know that there used to be 12. One abandoned, one betrayed Jesus. We're going to look at that a little bit later. And so now they're down to 11. And this is Jesus speaking to his now 11 disciples. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And that's what we're going to look at this morning is this idea of making disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." This is the word of God Almighty. You can be seated. So I just mentioned that we're going to talk about this idea of making disciples, making disciples. And it occurred to me that that is a phrase that contains a bunch of confusion. It was a little over 10 years ago, I was in a men's Bible study in Richmond, Virginia. And one of the guys in that group, his name is Eric. Eric was and is a godly man who seeks to follow Jesus and seeks to help lead others to follow Jesus. And I had shared with him that I had been discipled by a man named Pete, Pete Dyson. Some of you know Pete, uh, when we lived here in Texas the first time. And I remember Eric looking at me going, what does that even mean? You got discipled. What is that? What are you talking about? What does that even look like? 
Well, not growing up in church, not, I didn't get saved until I was an adult. I just assumed everybody knew what that meant. And so I was surprised when Eric didn't know. And then lo and behold, a couple of years later, I was at a church planting conference in Orlando. Church planters, people who want to see Jesus exalted and plant churches all over the country. And I was, there were a whole bunch of things that were covered during this conference from prayer to preaching to all of these things. And, and, and one focus was on discipleship. And we did this breakout group. We're sitting around there, you know, one of those big tables, maybe 10 or so of us sitting at the table. And each of us is to share a little bit about our understanding of discipleship, our knowledge of it, our experience with it. And I remember there was a pastor from Minnesota. It was in, at our table. And he was an older gentleman. He'd been a pastor for a long time. And when it came to him, I'm expecting to hear this great wisdom, right? And he kind of stammered, and I'm not trying to be ugly about it, but he just kind of stammered and he kind of stuttered. And he said, um, you know, I think I preached a sermon on that about eight years ago. Uh, yeah, beyond that, I'm not sure I have much to say. And I was startled again. But then as I started to think more about it, it occurred to me that that term was not only confusing for my friend Eric and this pastor from Minnesota, it had been something that was totally new to me and misunderstood. So I mentioned that this guy Pete discipled me when we lived in, we lived in Dallas and we were going to a different church and Pete reaches out to me and, and he starts pouring his life into me. He's meeting with me. He's He's taken me, uh, we, we would go get meals together. So every now and again, we'd pray together. He would teach me how to study the scriptures for myself. He taught me how to pray. And uh, when I was, we, my family and I, in 2005, we were going to move to Richmond, Virginia. And I met with Pete to have, have a meal and just talk. And, and he's instructing me. He's encouraging me. He's asking me, you know, what am I going to do whenever I get to Richmond? And so I said to him, uh, hey, Pete, what are you going to do? And he said, well, Dan, I'm going to find a young man, and I'm going to pour my life into that young man. I'm going, to, I'm going to help him to know Jesus better and teach him to walk with Jesus and to love Jesus. And me, dumb guy that I am, I'm like, huh, well, that sounds like a great idea. And it was only some time later when I was like, wait a second. He'd been doing that for me. I didn't even realize it. Here he was pouring his life into me, and an ungrateful and ignorant and unobservant man that I am, I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. Gives you a lot of confidence in the guy who's up here with the microphone, doesn't it? Well, this concept of discipling or being a disciple is confusing. It shouldn't be. It's really, really simple. The word disciple means a learner or a pupil or a student going back to school, right? But it's more than just a learner or a pupil or a student. It's more than sitting in a room like this and hearing one person talk. It's also being an adherent. Now you're gonna scratch your head, you go, what does that mean, adherent? Think of it in this way. In modern language, we would call it a follower. A follower is very common language today. I am in a big, I work for a big corporation and this is a big deal. If you work in a big corporation, this, this will be very familiar to you, that there are these like rock star CEOs, right? And they write books and they go out and speak and they hit the lecture circuit and everybody wants to know what they do, what they have. So we study them, 
We go to hear them speak or listen to their podcasts. We ask questions of them. We observe them. And at the end of the day, what we're really trying to do is to emulate them. And by the way, we will work hard, suffering even, to be like that CEO. Jack Welch from GE, I'm a former GE employee. Uh, uh, Steve Jobs from Apple. These are names that you might know even if you have, like why would you have any reason to know who CEOs are? Jamie Dimon at J.P. Morgan Chase. I heard a whoop whoop over there somewhere. Jeff Bezos at Amazon. These are names we know because the business world is trying to follow them. Be their disciples. All right, kids, you're like, I don't get that at all. What is that guy even talking about? How about this? Who has Instagram or Facebook? This is where I put my hand down. Who follows people who they don't know on Instagram and Facebook? Who follows celebrities who they don't know on Instagram or Facebook? For the people who you follow who you don't know, whether, whether they're celebrities or not, you have to ask yourself, why do I do that? And I think for some of us, we're just titillated by it, right? There's something neat or quirky and that we want to learn more about. But if we're honest, oftentimes what we're doing is we are trying to be like someone else. You with me? So you might be following someone because you like the particular makeup style they use and you want to know just exactly what they do or their hairstyles that they have or the clothes because then you're going you're gonna to do your makeup that way and you're going to get your hair that way and you're going to get those same clothes and those cool shoes. By the way, the shoe styles today are the worst of all time, I'm persuaded, right? But man, these things just explode. Why? Because I got to be like that person. That person has his or her life together. That's who I want to be like. We do that all the time. We are seeking to become followers, disciples of them. Now, by the way, what they are selling is a lie. This is not the purpose of the message this morning, but this is like sort of a, uh, this is a bonus issue right here. Nancy and I have a friend of ours whose daughter is an internet influencer. I won't tell you who it is, I won't tell you what her name is, but her job is to show up on the internet and go places and wear clothes and wear shoes and take pictures and look awesome and always be happy, right? So what? So she can make, and what is she after? She is after more followers. And if she gets more followers, more people will buy those things. And if more people buy those things, then she'll get more brand recognition. She'll make more money. And then she can get more followers. She's making disciples. But here's the inside scoop. We were talking to uh, this influencer's mom, and she was sharing us sort of the behind the scenes of what's actually happening. And it goes something like this. Oh, mom, my life is horrible. My life is so miserable. Wait, hold on a second, Mom. Hey, and here I am. I'm in Frisco, Texas, and things are awesome. Mom, this is so bad. I can't even believe that he said that to me. You tracking with me? That there are these phony lives that are perpetuated on Instagram and Facebook, and we are becoming, as a culture, we're culture followers of them. And it's gotten to the point that it is sick. I asked my daughters, because I am not an Instagram or Facebook person, I said, who do people follow on, on Instagram and Facebook? And one of my daughters said, the Kardashians. Ugh. I don't even know who the Kardashians are. 
And my daughter said, Kim Kardashian. Okay, I'm, I'm vaguely aware because I do watch some TV. I've seen commercials. And some of you will know that there is something distinctive about her appearance, right? <laughs> Let me tell you what's happening. I read this on an NBC newscast from 2015 that, and you never thought you'd hear this in church, that there has been a proliferation of, get ready for it, buttock augmentation surgery. So we can mimic, so people can mimic, they can be followers, they can be disciples of the culture, of someone who they admire. They can emulate them, they can be like them, and maybe they'll have that same seemingly perfect life. And in the same article, there was a part of it was about a woman who, she went out to have this augmentation surgery, and there was suffering associated with her discipleship because she had to have stuff sticking out of a part of her body that made it impossible for her to sleep on her back, which made it impossible for her to sleep for a couple of months. But she got the results she was looking for. And generation to generation passing down the discipleship, not long after that, her daughter got the same surgery. Do you get the point? We are a culture of disciples or disciple makers, whether we like it or not. We are making them or we are being made by them. Sometimes subtly, sometimes during augmentation surgery, but it is happening, right? Jesus in the passage that we just read is calling us to be disciples. He's calling us to make disciples. And who here wants to know, what does that look like? Yeah, how do I do that? I've got a couple of things we're going to walk through. And none of this, I hope, is going to be new. I hope all of it is just a reminder and an encouragement and, frankly, an exhortation so that we can heed the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. The first one, if you want to make disciples, you need to be a Christian. You need to actually know Jesus. You know, my story, I came to church when I was an adult, didn't know Jesus. I had heard phrases like Holy Ghost in uh, Christmas songs every now and again, didn't know any of this stuff. But I showed up to church, and before long, I started calling myself a Christian because I went to church, and I read the book twice. I stopped cursing. You know how hard that was? But I, yeah, I did it. Dang it. No. Um, but I had not apprehended really who Jesus was, really who I was, past tense, that I was a sinner that all those thoughts, even the ones I didn't execute on, that were wicked and perverse, those were sin. And the selfishness and the pride and the arrogance and the discontent, the anger, all of that was sin. And I thought I was awesome. And God gave me this great realization, no, Dan, you are a sinner 
You are without God and without hope in the world, save for one thing, and that's Jesus. So if you're wondering, why is that cross up there? Why do we celebrate, celebrate a crucified Savior? It is because if you were here a couple of weeks and we talked about holiness, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about holiness, that God is holy and we're not. And his call for us is to be holy. And it is impossible for us to do it on our own, no matter how much effort, even if we clean up our language. Trust me, it's like a balloon. You squeeze here, it's going to come out somewhere else. And God sends his son from heaven, the perfect sacrifice for us. That if we come to faith in him, trust in him, to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That we become his children when we say, I have no hope save for Jesus. He washes away my sin. You heard Tracy beautifully share the gospel with you this morning. If you want to make disciples, you got to get saved. But we love to talk about Jesus as our Savior. But the other part about making disciples is you got to be one. And that's this idea of making Jesus Lord. Are you tracking with me on this? That Jesus does not only come to save our sins, that he has come to make us a treasured possession, to make us like him. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, I think, says we are to be conformed into the image of his son. That that's his call for us. He doesn't want us to become like the culture, just looking at that thing, looking at it, looking at it, that's what I need to be, that's what I need to be. If I have that, I'll be happy. If I have that, I'll be happy. Oh, selfie, how do I look? See, that's the culture we live in. But God is calling us to make Jesus Lord over everything. It's not easy. It is not easy. But praise God that when we come to faith in him, he gives us his spirit, right? He gives us his spirit. And the spirit of God who comes to dwell in us, that's the promise that God has given to us, is that he will work in us to transform us. And I hope every one of us here has a testimony of how God has broken sin in our lives. How God has changed us over time. All right? So the first thing that we need to do if we want to make disciples is we need to be saved. The second thing we need to do is we need to see Jesus as Lord. The third thing that we need to do is really in becoming a disciple is to follow Jesus is to follow him, to be one of his adherents. And I want to talk through this just for a second because if you turn back to Matthew chapter 28, when it says, teach them, Jesus talking to the disciples in verse 20, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. One more verse and the whole gospel of Matthew ends. Like, we go out and buy these 10-step books, right? Seven steps to a perfect life. Go from good to great, all of these things. But Jesus doesn't say to them, and here are the things I commanded you. Here's a list. Wouldn't it be great if we had that list sometimes? How in the world did the disciples know what those commands were that they were to follow, that they were to obey, for them to be able to teach others to obey? How would they know that? because they were with him. They were with him. So when Jesus taught crowds, 
kind of like the one we have here. Guess what? The disciples, those, those 11 back then, 12 disciples were there. When Jesus taught in smaller groups like we have here, our, our men's and ladies' Bible studies, Jesus, the, the, the disciples were there. When Jesus was eating, when he would have meals, just like we do together when we have community groups or sometimes we do events after church where we eat together, the, the disciples were there. When Jesus was extending grace and mercy to people, serving the poor, ministering to others, the disciples were there. When Jesus went, if you've ever read, just read through one of the Gospels, just to prepare for this sermon, I read through the Gospel according to Matthew twice, and it, I had never really noticed before just how much traveling they did. They walked all over the place to different regions. And by the way, they walked, right? No Uber, they walked. And so, and, and no nice shoes. I'm back to my shoe comment earlier. No nice shoes to wear. They walked all over the place to different regions, to these regions up in the north, Tyre and Sidon. And then they were up in this area called Galilee near, the, near a, a, a sea. And they would go all the way down to Jerusalem walking. They walked all over the place. And, and the disciples were with him. Just like we will send people out. For those of you who have gone to Haiti or know about the Haiti trips, that we go to these different places. The disciples were with him. Now here's where I want to stop for just a second. And this is kind of a warning. It's a warning for you, but it's also a warning for me. See, there's a danger in what I'm saying right now. The danger is we're going to make our own checklist that I said is not at the end of Matthew 28. And the danger is, okay, what did Dan say? He said, go to church. Check. Get into a men's or ladies' Bible study. No. Uh, community group, what I like. Check. You, you see what I'm saying? We are in a danger of doing that. I am in a danger of making it come across that I'm saying that. And that's actually not what I'm saying. Because proximity to Jesus or proximity to God's people, nearness to Jesus or God's people, does not mean you're a disciple, and it doesn't even mean you're saved. There are times throughout the scriptures where the disciples, Jesus had a whole bunch of them for a long time, and he started teaching some really hard stuff. And guess what they did? They left. And one of those disciples who left actually betrayed Jesus. Judas Iscariot. He is the one who sold Jesus to be crucified. So it's not proximity to God. It's not proximity to God's people. It is intimacy with God. Are you tracking with me? And there is a component of obedience in that. There's no doubt about it. Jesus has called us to obey. Teach him to obey all that I have commanded. But there are other aspects to it. There's listening there's learning. There's asking questions. Do, do you know some of the questions that the, that the disciples asked while they were walking with Jesus? So, so teachers, we saw some of the teachers back here. Do you, do you tell your students, oh, there are no dumb questions. There are no dumb questions. It turns out there are. All right. Thank you. There's a teacher over there. It turns out there are dumb questions. 
How about this one? Can you imagine if you were walking with Jesus on a regular basis and you went to another country, Samaria, and there were people who wouldn't listen to you and you walked up to Jesus and you've been with Jesus for a long time and you walk up to Jesus and you say, hey, Jesus, those Samaritans aren't listening. Would you like me to call fire down from heaven to consume them? That's a dumb question, all right? But Jesus in his grace rebukes them And they learn from that rebuke. Have you been rebuked by Jesus in studying his word? Are you spending time in his word, time with him? So that when you're coming here, when you're gathering as a crowd or as a smaller group or even on your own or as you travel, are you with Jesus? Are you you studying his word? Are you asking him questions? Some of which will be really dumb. Like the one I asked my my teacher, Pete. What are you going to do, Pete? And not knowing what what in the world I was even talking about. But we are called to wrestle with the scriptures, to wrestle with, with Jesus, and to allow him to wash over us, to change us. And in that process, we will imperfectly for sure, but slowly by, but, but, but sort of moment by moment, day by day, we will learn to obey him. In fact, you'll even learn that you want to please him. Amen. Just like you would anyone who you love. We are called to make disciples. To do that, you need to actually have faith in Jesus Christ. You need to make Jesus Christ Lord. You need to be his follower, walking with him. There's a fourth part of it. And this is the part that that, uh, uh, Jesus says so directly. We are to teach others to obey all that he has commanded. All that he has commanded. What has he commanded? as I've asked before, if you wouldn't mind putting up the John 15 passage, there's a, there's a uh, passage from John chapter 15. It begins at verse 7. And we don't have time to explore every aspect of the commands that Jesus has given. But in this small section, is it all up there? Awesome. Uh, it's almost all up there. In this small section, I want to walk through just a handful of them, and you can see how Jesus is calling us. By the way, this is hard. let Let me just pause for just a second. Discipling someone is hard. It was hard for Jesus. I mean, think about how much time it took. Jesus is walking from place to place. Crowds are constantly following him, and crowds are clamoring for his attention, and they want more and more from him. People want to kill him. He's alienating people. He wants to sleep. He tries to go away to a desolate place and all these crowds keep following him. He wants to pray and go to a desolate place and all these people keep following him. And his own disciples, as I mentioned, ask crazy questions. Another one of my favorite crazy questions is when they're walking along and Jesus is, is, I, I think they think he's out of earshot, and they start arguing with one another, who is the greatest among us? Can you imagine? You're walking with the Son of God and you're saying, I'm better than that guy. I'm better than that loser, right? Don't we do that? 
Don't we do the exact same thing? Ah, my walk with Jesus is real, but not that. Like, we need to be super cautious about that. But that's exactly what we do. And that, was, that made it really hard for Jesus. And, and I, I was thinking about this. I was like, you know, I think the reason, aside from being the Son of God, like, I think the reason Jesus could do that is he didn't have a job. Like, I have a job. I got to work. Jesus didn't work, right? Jesus didn't have a, well, when I'm talking, when he starts his public ministry, though. And then I remember that point right there that Deanna just said, that he was a carpenter. He grew up as a carpenter. But then I think, okay, even if you're not the son of God, and even if you don't have a job, how about the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul had a job. He was a tent maker. The Apostle Paul wasn't the Son of God. He was a man, just a mere man. And yet, he poured his life into others. Did you know that? Did you know that Paul just didn't do what we're doing right here, which is one person standing up and talking to everybody? And there's an awesome place for that. I totally believe in it. Don't get me wrong. But that's not all that Paul did, and that's not all that discipleship is. Paul actually poured his life into folks. We know that. Sorry, I was at John 15. We're going to come back to that. But if you turn to, to 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 10, this is what Paul says to a young man, Timothy, to a man who he was discipling. He said, you, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my sufferings. How could Timothy have followed all those things? Well, in some respect, he wasn't there for every aspect of that. He would have learned about it and gotten smart about it. But it's because they were together. They traveled together. That just as, this is why Paul can say, uh, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Just as Jesus had modeled this life of discipleship, wherever he was going, training, teaching, rebuking, exhorting, healing, showing mercy, that Paul is imitating him in doing that and training a younger person, Timothy, maybe not necessarily younger in age, could just be younger in faith, although it's, it's both here for Timothy, but, but that that is the model that we are to exhibit. And it's most, it's most succinctly captured. Does anybody know 2 Timothy 2.2? Is that a big passage for anybody? Thank you, Tony. When Paul says to Timothy, the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men that they may go and teach others also. And do you hear how Paul, in instructing Timothy, is saying to Timothy, look, what you heard from me, you need to go find other men and teach them so they can perpetuate this thing and continue to teach others to be faithful followers of Jesus. But it's not only the teaching it's not just in teaching, as important as the teaching is. It's also in how we model life together. It's how we do life together. It's how much time we spend with one another. It's how we walk this walk of faith together, pray together, confide in one another, help one another, push one another, pull one another. Do you understand? Are you tracking with me? Like, this is the call of God. It's not that we are lone rangers after we get saved, but that we are to walk this life together. And this is the instruction that Paul gives to Timothy. This is 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says in verse 12, Let no one despise you for your youth, 
but set the believers an example in, spe- in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. How can he be a, an example of those things unless he's with people? Right? Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Do you see how the call is for us to live life together? As important as it is coming together once a week, that's not enough. Twice a week, I'm not here to prescribe like what the exact schedule ought to be, but we should be invested in one another's lives deeply. Are you invested in anyone else's life? And this is the last piece that I was talking about. Well, before I say that, I mentioned this man, Pete Dyson, investing in me. He, He was a busy guy. He was an associate pastor of a church of thousands of people. And those guys, they're just crazy busy. There's so much going on. And yet he made sure he led the men's group on a Tuesday morning, every Tuesday morning. And then he invited me to a discipleship class, which was not so large, it was much smaller. Every Wednesday night, where he taught me how to to study my Bible for myself. Modeled a transparent life. I learned about struggles he was having in his own life because he lived this transparent life, not this egotistical Christian life that's got the phony smile but a longing to walk it out with somebody else so they can see there are difficulties, but we can overcome them together with one another. And he poured his life into me. And my hope by the grace of God is that I will do the same for another. I love that man. He has zero understanding of the impact he's had on my life. None. I still keep in touch with him a little bit, not much. But he has so poured into me that the longing is then to perpetuate it, just like Paul had instructed Timothy, so that they can do the same thing with others. And that's this last point, is teaching others to obey all that Jesus commanded. We need to be with people, but it's got to be more than just a meal. Meals are critical together, right? We get to know one another, but it's got to be more than just a meal. It's got to be more than going fishing. Is fishing great? I love going fishing. Can you have deep conversations when you're fishing? Absolutely, but it's got to be more than that. It's, it's, it's a life intentionally together. And you can't do it with a whole mass of people. Jesus had 12, and then he had three who were more close to him. I don't know how many Paul had, but I know Timothy was one of them. And he poured into Timothy. And it is costly. It takes your time. It takes your love. When you see somebody go off the rails, who you've invested in, who you've loved, who you have confided in, it's costly. But it's totally worth it. All right, so what did Jesus command? Looking at John chapter 15, beginning at verse 7. I just want to walk through a couple of these. If you abide in me, And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. 
Jesus is telling us to abide in him. And you may remember Jay preached on this just a few weeks back, this abiding, this living in Jesus, this remaining with Jesus, and that his word would abide in us. And it's the sense of like we are so in his word that his word is in us. And it starts to change the way we think. It starts to change what we do. It changes how we live. It changes how we love. It changes how we see other people. And we we read those commands and we actually want to do them. Some of you have heard me say there was one, I can't remember if this is first or second Peter, but it says, uh, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. I don't know if I've ever shared that one with you guys before. And I remember thinking, live with my wife in an understanding way. I don't understand her at all. How can I live with her in an understanding way if I don't understand her? We've been married for 19 years. Elementary? <laughs> Not anymore. Because I started to heed that warning. I started to heed that call. And I said, I'm going to study my wife. When I do this, she reacts that particular way. Don't do this. When I do this other thing, she reacts a good way. Keep doing this other thing, right? And I started, now, she'll tell you, not perfect, far from it. But I started to see, to understand my wife, to learn who she is so that I could love her better, which is my call that God has given to me, love my wife. And one way to love her better is to understand her and live with her in an understanding way. And you see that when you start abiding in Jesus and his word abides in you, that he starts to change you that you start rowing in the same direction as his spirit, as it were, and he starts to grow you. All right, so there's this concept of abiding. And this next, verse eight, by this my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Bearing fruit. Do you know what that means? There are a couple of different aspects of it. I only wanna focus on one of them. And that that is this idea. It's another repetition. It's Jesus saying, go and make disciples. Bear fruit. You, he is saying, have been nourished by Jesus. Go and nourish others and help them to grow. Help them to come to faith in Jesus if they don't know Jesus. And if they do, help them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that he's given to us. That's the calling. Bearing fruit. Seeing people grow in Christ. That's the command even from Matthew. Keep reading verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And this is Jesus talking. He says this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so that's the call. It's to love one another. But listen to the next verse, because you would think they don't actually go together, but they do. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Isn't it weird? Isn't it thought-provoking? That when Jesus talks about loving one another, his focus is on suffering and sacrifice. Are you loving anyone that way? That is not my natural inclination or state. I am self-absorbed as they come. But for Jesus, it would actually be totally off the rails. 
And Jesus is calling us into a new kind of way of thinking and a new kind of way of living, a new kind of way of teaching and a new kind of way of coming together that we are to love one another sacrificially even to our hurt. When you love someone, you know this to be true. When you love someone, you expose your heart to them and you are vulnerable to them. And in a sense, that's Jesus' calling for us. That we are to be living so closely together, so intimately with one another, that my hurt is your hurt, Doug. Your hurt is my hurt. All seeking for, for all of us to grow, to bear fruit, to be conformed into the image of Jesus. Why? So that Jesus will get glory. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of you will know that name, was a pastor in Germany in World War II. He, he, is, he said many famous things, and he was an amazing man. And he had this amazing statement. He said, when God calls a man, he bids him come and die. And it's true that we die to ourselves as we take on the calling of Christ, take on the cross of Christ to go and live sacrificially, pouring into one another. Do you want a life like that? Or are you satisfied, I'm just going to be raw for a second, are you satisfied coming to church for an hour and 15 minutes, maybe if a guy goes long like he's doing today, an hour and 30 minutes, and then walking out? I don't think so either. I don't want that. I can tell you, your elders don't want that, your pastor doesn't want that, Jesus doesn't want it. He wants us to be tight together. I had so many illustrations, I'm looking at the clock, we're never going to get through them. This is my invitation to you. God calls us into a much deeper relationship with Him. Some of you know that relationship, and you're saying, that's exactly right. I know exactly what that's like. I have it, and I want more of it. Some of you are thinking, I don't know what that looks like at all. I'm abandoned. I'm alone. Nobody hears me. No one sees me. I'm like a ghost in this place or in the other places where I go, and I have a lot of pain, and I need help. And some of us are just saying, I don't know what that guy's talking about. But I know this, I want more in my relationship with Jesus. Is that you? I mentioned that my, the guy who discipled me, Pete Dyson, invited me into this discipleship class with a small number of men. He first made an invitation. Uh, he taught this Bible study that met on a Tuesday morning that was in some days larger than the, than the group we have here. It could be quite big. Um, and he said, hey, in the fall, we're going to start this, or, yeah, in the fall, we're going to start this thing, uh, this discipleship class. It's for people who want to walk more closely with Jesus. And he issued it, just like I'm issuing it here, through a large group. And I was like, Phew, right over my head. And I was like, I don't know what he's talking about, but I know I'm not ready for that. Well, I don't know what ready looks like, to be honest with you. But three weeks into the thing, that fall, Pete reached out to me. And he said, hey, Dan. I'd like you to come. And I only came because I respected him. I only went because I respected him. And he changed my life. Not only teaching me how to study the Bible, not only teaching me how to pray, not only putting me on a walk that I can actually love people and not just be smarter in my head about what's in the Bible, but try to walk it out and love people and really be conformed to the image of his son. If I say no to that, 
I'm that guy in the crowd going, I don't know what that dude's talking about and I'm not ready for it. I invite you, would you please, Jesus wants more of you because he wants to give more of himself to you. Does that make sense? And I invite you over these next few weeks that we as a church body, you're going to hear from Ross week after week about the ways we are going to try to help bring people together. We want to bring you together. We want to bring us together to be one as Jesus has called us to be, just as he and his Father are one, so we can know him more fully, so we can be disciples, we can make disciples, and that his joy truly would be complete as we read from John 15. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I pray that by your spirit that you would take these words and just um, transform them, make them yours, that you would grow us that you would give us a hunger to know you more, a hunger to make you known, to love others, to be your disciples, to make disciples, no matter the call, no matter the sacrifice. Jesus, we need you. Help us, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.